Well, good morning to all of you. Glad you guys are here. Glad you've joined us today. Uh, I want to start out this morning just with a little bit of a family business sort of thing. So if you are uh, uh, new or newer uh, to Ignite, I apologize, but we're going to hit the pause button and just kind of do a little announcement uh, for those of us that consider Ignite to be our home church. Um, some of you uh, know that uh, we have two campuses here at Ignite, two different churches uh, that kind of make up uh, Ignite. We have the downtown campus, which is this one, right? We started about five years ago uh, in September. Actually, we'll have a big shindig and celebration here, here coming up, so that'll be fun. But uh, we started the church with a vision to start multiple churches, multiple campuses uh, of, of kind of small to medium-sized churches around the region that could be effective in helping different pockets of our community meet Jesus. And so that's kind of been our heart uh, from the beginning. And because of this, we recruited um, Paul and Stephanie Seidel to come alongside with us, to come with us, to apprentice with us um, for the first couple years, and then to kind of spin off and start their own church. And so on our second anniversary, right, as a church, uh, we, we planted our first daughter church, right, Ignite Church Sunnyland. And, uh, and that's been pretty cool. And so that's, for those of you that don't know, it's sort of like the western part of Washington. It's kind of between Washington and East Peoria, but it's got its kind of own little identity, uh, so to speak. And the plan was that, that, that from two, we would both find apprentices and go to four and to eight and to kind of keep on going from that. We plan on working together to keep planting and multiplying additional churches throughout the region, which we are still committed to. However, however I will say over the last um, year, 18 months, something like that, it's become increasingly apparent that um, God's been kind of putting a different call on the, on the heart of uh, Paul and Sunnyland Church. Uh, Paul's calling and really what the campus has kind of become has a real heart to attract and minister to those that are um, already churched Christians, but coming from sort of bad experiences where they've been wounded and that kind of stuff, meeting them there, ministering to them, raising them up, and, uh, and really caring for them that way. Our heart and our target and our passion has always been for those that are not inside an existing church, uh, people that are far from God and helping them to discover new life in Christ, helping them to wrestle with the gospel and to, to imp- fully embrace Christ, to be raised up and to be sent out to live every day of our lives on mission for Jesus in our community. And, uh, and that is sort of unchanging. Um, Certainly, do we care about those uh, ministering to those that are hurting Christians as well? Of course we do, but that's just not our primary target or not our primary mission. And so, like I said, over the, the last year or so, it's just become obvious that God's sort of taking us in some different directions. And because of this, at the end of August, we'll be releasing Paul and Stephanie in the Sunnyland campus from Ignite at their request, I might add. Uh, they'll have a new name. I think they're, they're leaning towards Legacy Church at the moment. They'll have a different purpose and sort of a different direction. And they'll be freed up to completely uh, be a separate church and to pursue the type of ministry and the calling that they feel like God has really put on their hearts. Well, this has not been uh, what we expected. It's not been what we hoped for or planned for. It's always been a possibility since the very beginning. We talked about this and said, you know, we are not against, certainly, churches, uh, if there's a good reason why, why they need to kind of spin off and be their own autonomous church to help them reach their pocket, you know, their, their target and their little pocket community. Um, we, we've always said we're for it. So, so while on the one hand we are um, surprised and certainly it's not what we planned for, on the other hand, of course, it's kingdom ministry, right? It's God's kingdom. There's a whole big kingdom out there. And so we, of course, uh, will always love them, and they'll always hold a special place in, in our hearts. But we are sending them off with God's blessing and, and uh, hoping and desiring the best, obviously, for them, just recognizing that we're kind of headed in, in some different directions. Um, if you have uh, questions, I mean, we're, we are a fully transparent church. We're about relationship. And so... Uh, Certainly, if you have questions about this or things that you're like, hey, what is this? What's happening? Maybe it's a shock to you or something like that. We'd love to hear from you. Why don't you uh, touch base with me? You can write your question if you have it on your communication card, and I can follow up if you'd like. Or you can join us in a couple weeks. We've got our annual stakeholders meeting coming up. We'll talk a little bit more about it then. And uh, we also have Q&A and stuff as part of that. And and so you can plan on joining us then as well and, and asking your questions there. So. All right, that's kind of just because of how quickly this is coming, I needed to let you guys know we're also announcing it at our Sunnyland campus this morning, and uh, and you'll be hearing more about that as uh, the days and weeks uh, unfold here. So with that, why don't I pray for us, and we will transition into the message for today. 
Father, we love you. We thank you that you and you alone are Lord of your church, that you have and know the plans you have for us, plans uh, to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. And you have plans for your bride, for your church uh, throughout this region, throughout uh, Illinois and the country and the world, that you are working out your intricate plans and details. And God, we uh, are excited about what you have in store. We're glad to be your kids. We're glad to follow your lead. We entrust um, Sunnyland to you. We entrust the downtown campus to you. And pray as well, God, that you would move your kingdom and move your mission forward through these churches and through others like them. Uh, pray for your blessing and your peace and, uh, and just for a, a move of your spirit to really sweep through this region, God. And now as we kind of turn our eyes and our attentions to your word and to you and the message, we pray as well that you would speak to us here, that you would minister to us here, that you'd challenge us and shape us, that you would have your way in us, God. We love you. We need you. We uh, lift up this time to you. We lift up uh, even just our hearts to you and just open the door uh, to our hearts and lives and just pray that you'd come in and lead and guide and minister uh, in these next moments as you see fit for our good, God, and for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to start out this morning with a couple of stories, true stories from my life. Um, these are ones that uh, you may or may not have heard me talk about before. It's not necessarily things I'm proud of, but things that are just true of my spiritual journey, true of my life. I remember my first job right after college. Uh, I was living by myself, working at a little church kind of between Oregon and Byron, Illinois, not far from Rockford, doing youth and worship. Uh, at that church, I've been a part of a small group, and we've been talking about God's heart for, uh, for homeless people and for people that were living in poverty, people that were living in need and that kind of stuff. And, and that had kind of kind of spurred me on to start praying, God, would you give me opportunity to build relationship with somebody that's homeless, with somebody that's really in need, that I could get to know them and care for them and practically do something to kind of help them uh, in their lives. And I've been praying this for a few weeks. And I remember I uh, was on my way to a wedding. I don't remember where or even who it was anymore, but I was driving through Rockford at the time. And uh, I remember I'm coming up and I can, you know, as you're driving, it's a flat piece of road. As I'm driving, I can see somebody standing on the side of the road and uh, they're hitchhiking. And as I come up closer, he's got a little sign and I'm like, this is a homeless dude. This is what I've been praying for. And I can, I can kind of even in, you know, not that I heard an audible voice or anything, but I kind of had a nudge like from God, like this is what you've been praying for. Why don't you pull over, pick this guy up. And uh, I have to say, I'm, I'm, I'm driving up my pulse, right? My heart's starting to race a little bit. I start thinking, like, okay, some questions are going through my head. Like, does this guy look safe? You know, does this guy, what is this going to be? Like, I don't know anything. And I, I, I pull up and I start to slow down. I take a good look at him and I kept right on driving. And uh, I remember, I remember, I mean, I, to be honest, I have no idea why. But I, I, I'm driving by, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at him, even in my rearview mirror, like, should I stop? Should I put it in reverse? Should I go back? Should I whatever? And, and uh, I remember thinking, all these questions start going through my head. Well, I'm like, well, would it be safe? You know, and then I start thinking, well, you know, in all fairness to myself, I think I would have stopped. It just caught me by surprise. I wasn't ready, right? I wasn't ready. And I kid you not, about the moment I think of that, I see another homeless guy standing on the side of the road, and I drove by him too. And I, I have to say, I mean, it, it might have been the same guy. It might have been an angel. It might have been a plant from God. I don't know. To be honest, never before or ever since did I ever see a hitchhiker on that particular piece of road. But that day, I saw two, probably a mile or two apart from each other. And it's one of those things that, I mean, it, yeah, it's kind of humorous because I'm, I'm being fully transparent. But it's it's one of those things that's always kind of horrified me about myself. Like, why did you do that? What? The living God had orchestrated something. He was nudging me. I was clear. I could tell by my heart pounding by the by just the, the, the drive that just said, pull over, pull over. I mean, you could just feel it. God was calling, and I missed it. I drove right on by. I don't know about you, but my, my faith journey is filled with moments like that. That's, it may not be the ones I like to talk about. It may not be the ones I like to brag about. But there's moments, some moments where I, I do the right thing and I go, I step out in faith in some moments that I drive right on by. 
Another one, I've, I've shared this one before a couple of times, but another one that's classic in my mind, just, just jumps out of my, 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 uh, my head when I start thinking about this, is I, I lived in Russia for a while doing missions for about 18 months um, at the end of college. And uh, pretty uh, amazing experience, pretty transformational for me. But there was a, a moment there, too, where we went into a, a Russian church, and I, I sat in the service, uh, came walking in one particular day, and I walked right by a guy that uh, was in a wheelchair that was there, had uh, cerebral palsy, and uh, didn't think much about it, to be honest. I noticed it, but then kind of walked onto my seat and enjoyed some time of worship. Uh, it was all in Russian, but, but so I, I still enjoyed it. But we got to the message, and it was beyond my level to understand, so I'm basically sitting there. I'm praying. I'm thinking. I'm whatever. And again, I had this sort of undeniable sense that God was speaking and God was nudging me and saying, hey, I want you to go pray for that guy. And I want you to go and pray that God would heal him. And I'm, I'm like, what? <laughs> what? What are you talking? I, I had come with a couple of friends. I'm like, I start thinking, man, I'm going to look like an idiot. Like I, well, or, And then I start thinking, you know, to go up and pray for this guy. Like what? And then I start thinking, what happens if I pray and nothing happens. What happens if, right, I do this and my friends think I'm an idiot? What happens if I do this and the pastor or the church or whatever is like totally wigged out by this? This isn't that kind of church, right, kind of thing. And uh, I can remember totally freaking out. But again, throughout the message, my heart is pounding. And I just had this overwhelming sense where God was just saying, you know, would you trust me? Would you, would you trust me? Would, would you, would you just, just go and pray? Your responsibility is to do what I'm asking you to do. You pray, you leave the results up to me. And again, I got up at the end of the service. It's all done. I walked right by this guy. My heart is pounding. And, and again, I walked outside the door. I just walked right out. And I knew I had missed it, but I, I, tried to, I tried to sort of shove it down and ignore it and that kind of thing until a couple weeks later I heard um, my friends that I was with that day went to that church again a couple weeks later. They said, you'll never believe what happened today. I'm like, what? And he said, well, at the end of the service, God prompted somebody to go and pray for this guy. And they prayed for him, and he literally walked out of the place. And I started bawling immediately. I did because I was, I knew, I knew there was no hiding it at that moment. I knew that the living God had prompted me and I missed it. He worked anyway because he's a good God. He's a faithful God. He's a big God. He worked anyway, but I had missed out on seeing the power of God in that moment. I'll tell you what, friends, I don't know what, uh, what your (laughs) faith journey looks like, but for me, like I said, my faith journey is peppered with, with good moments and with moments where I've blown it, with moments that I've driven by or I've walked by, even though I knew God was saying, stop and pray, stop and take action, stop and do something. And I, don't get me wrong, I think there's some decent uh, clips on my highlight reels too, right? There's some, some moments where I, I, I've trusted God, where I've stepped out and seen him work, where I've prayed for somebody. Moments when, you know, we've risked everything and we've moved our family to start churches, not just once but twice. There's been moments when we have trusted God for hundreds of thousands of dollars and seen God come through in jaw-dropping and phenomenal kinds of ways. I mean, there's been times when uh, God's prompted me to boldly share about Christ with people that are atheists, with people that are criminals or addicts or alcoholics or whatever, and I've stepped up to the plate. There's been times when I've been willing to follow a prompting, even though it took me into a dangerous situation to love on and minister to people. But for me, my journey is filled with ups and downs, right? Moments where, where I follow God and there's great times, but also moments uh, where there are failures and fears and shortcomings, and those are equally true. It's sort of like that meme that uh, I've got, if you jump ahead a couple slides, sort of like that meme that says success, what people think it looks like and what it really looks like, right? You guys have seen this before. I kind of feel like this is what people think that uh, discipleship looks like, that walking with Jesus looks like. And in reality, this is more my reality, right? It's like all over the place. There's ups and downs and ins and outs and times when I feel like, man, I've you know, I was, I did a good thing today. I followed God today. And in times when I feel like, man, I've blown it so big time. And yet God is faithful still. And so uh, today we are launching a new series called Relatable, Seeing Yourself in God's Story. And throughout this series, we're going to be looking at a handful of characters. You might even call them heroes from the Bible. 
but instead of just looking at their highlights reel, instead of just looking at all the times that they did it right, we're going to try and look take a holistic look right at their lives and we're going to learn some lessons from when they did it right and some things that are that are uh inspiring to us and things that maybe we aspire to be true in our own lives ways they've taken big faith steps and they've seen god show up in some major ways and we'll say you know i want to i want to emulate that i want that to be true in my life but we'll also learn some lessons of ways when they've tanked right ways that they've uh kind of not followed him when they've said no when they've gone their own way when they've taken matters into their own hands or whatever and uh they've blown it and we'll say you know what this is relatable to us but we're going to learn a lesson uh, of how to follow god so we're going to learn some lessons of, of things they did right we're going to learn some lessons of uh things they did wrong and, and the whole idea behind all of this is these are people excuse me from the bible that, that are heroes People that we have maybe heard their stories before, maybe as kids we heard them or whatever. People that we might even look up to and aspire to be like. But if we take a look at the whole, if we kind of pull back the curtains and look at the good and the bad, I think what we might find is they're more like us than you think. And if God could use them, even though they're a mess, even though they blow it sometimes, even though they are not always faithful, then maybe, just maybe, he could use me. And maybe, just maybe, he could use you in powerful ways to change the world, to change, to impact lives and eternities of those that are around you. Amen? So that's kind of where we're going over the next four weeks. Today I want to kick off this whole thing by talking about a biblical hero named Abraham. And we're going to look at a few different stories from his life. We're going to learn some lessons and be reminded that uh, even when we are not faithful, God is faithful anyway. I have to say it'd be difficult to overemphasize how significant Abraham is in the Bible. He's the father of a nation known as Israel. He's the father of the people of God in the Old Testament. He's the receiver of God's promise. He's in the lineage of Jesus. He's the model for our faith. God used him in incredible ways to literally change the course of human history. In fact, he shows up in Hebrews chapter 11, which is referred to God's sort of hall of faith, right? It's kind of God's hall of fame, so to speak, of people that just followed God in jaw-dropping kind of ways, right? That they took amazing uh, risks of faith and they followed God anyway. He was amazing kind of stuff and it refers Hebrews chapter 11 references all kinds of heroes from the Bible people like Noah or people like Joseph get mentioned in one verse in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 or Gideon and Samson and David are are briefly mentioned Moses who's huge or he's, he's a biggie in the Bible gets five verses in the hall of faith 11 verses are, uh, are reserved for Abraham more than anybody else because he's, he's known as sort of the, the, the man of faith in the Old Testament. His highlight reel is pretty incre- incredible. Listen to, listen to this from Hebrews 11 that describes a little bit of Abraham's faith journey. Again, this is kind of his highlights reel. It says this, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, uh, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had, uh, who had made the promise." And so from this man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Verse 13. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Uh, he, 
He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac, your son, that your, offering will be, that your offspring will be reckoned, that this promise will be realized. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. All right, let's kind of dig into this a little bit, learn some lessons from Abraham, both imitating him and learning from his mistakes. I'll jump kind of back and forth between this Hebrews 11 passage and the actual story that's recorded in Genesis as needed. I'm going to hit four different kind of lessons that we can learn from Abraham before we get to kind of the main focus of the message and really something that we'll, that we'll um, kind of see, I think, as we go throughout this series. First lesson that I want us to learn is uh, there will be times when God's direction is confusing. Follow him anyway, right? And you're going to kind of see this kind of tone throughout. But uh, Hebrews 11, verse 8 that we just read says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. Now, again, this is sort of a jaw-dropping moment. This is definitely highlight-worthy of Abraham's journey with God. God tells him to pack up his whole family and to leave home, leave everything he had ever known, pack it up, and leave without a plan, without a roadmap, without any kind of an idea of uh, how they'd be provided for, where they were going to go, how they'd find shelter, or uh, really if they'd ever really have a real home. I mean, can you imagine having to go home and tell this to your spouse? Well, honey, God told me to pack it all up and we're leaving. Where are we going? I have no idea, right? How are we going to? This is just not going to go well, right? This is not going to go well. Miraculously, Abraham obeys God, it says. He actually did this. He, He goes home, he tells his wife, they pack everything up and they follow God into the great unknown not knowing where they were going without a plan or a, de- a decisive answers to all the questions that must have been swirling around in his brain. He follows God anyway. And I, I, I read his story and he think, I want to be like that. Right? I want that to be true of me. I want to I be less about having all the answers and having the roadmap all figured out and more having a heart that says, I am wide open, God. Lead me where you will and I'll follow. I don't want to be the guy that drives by I don't want to be the guy that walks right on by. I want to be the guy that when God calls, I stop and I obey and I follow, even though I don't have all the answers. This is a picture of the journey of faith. God is doing this stuff in you and in me all the time. He might not call you to pack up all your possessions and move someplace that you don't know the zip code, right? it It might not be that, but he's constantly and consistently calling to you and me saying, will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you go with me? Will you believe my promises? I think oftentimes we're content believing in God, but not really wanting to believe God by following him, right? That's a totally harder thing. If God called to me like he did to Abe, I'd be tempted to say, but God, where are we going? When will we arrive? How am I going to provide for my family? Help me to help you, God, right? Give me some of these answers. If I don't know the specifics, I'm not sure I'm going. In fact, that's probably what part of what kept me from picking up this homeless guy. I wanted assurances. Will it be safe? How is this all going to work out? I wanted all the answers first, but in reality, I'm not so sure that's the way God works. I'm not so sure. Because God's not all that interested in filling in all the blanks for you and for me. He's trying to teach us instead how to trust him. He wants to show us his goodness and his power and his faithfulness. And the way that we come to see and experience that in our lives is is by step by step, moment by moment, day by day, learning to to step out and follow him, even, even when it doesn't make sense. Even when we don't have all the answers, even when we're unsure. And he says, you know what, just, just trust me. Would you, would you take this step? Would you follow me? And would you follow me the next step? And would you follow me the next step? God's trying to teach us to trust him and to see him and to know his goodness and his faithfulness. I heard a pastor one time describe Abraham's whole life story like this. God says to Abraham, he says, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you out. And Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just step out and follow me. And then he says to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a land. And Abraham says, where? And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wander, right? Just step out and follow me. And then he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham says, how? I'm an old man, and my wife cannot have children. And God says, I'll tell you later. Just wait. 
And then finally, God says, uh, sends a child to him. And God says, Abraham, sacrifice that child. And Abraham says, why? And God says, I'll tell you later. Walk up the mountain, take the knife, take the torch. It's the journey of faith. Of course, we know that God, I mean, and we'll see later that God provides and protects uh, Abraham's son. But this is the journey of faith. It doesn't necessarily always make sense. We don't always have the answers. It's extreme in Abraham's story, but it crosses into my life and into your life virtually every day and every moment as we learn to, to know and recognize the leading and the prompting of God. God says to you and me, will you trust me? God says, do you, see, do you see that person over there that's struggling financially? I want you to give to them. I want you to serve them. Maybe I want you to pray for them. Maybe I want you to you know, befriend them and love on them and encourage them. And we say, God, God, how, why, what? And God says, I'll tell you later. But, but now, would, would you just trust me? Would, would you follow me? Would you, would you take the step? Right? We see this kind of thing all the time in our lives. God says, sex is a sacred thing. It's reserved for marriage, so stay pure, right? No sex outside of marriage. Marriage is for one man, one woman for a lifetime. And we say, why? And we say, how? And we say, really? Not in this world. And God says, would, would you trust me? Would, would you take the step and would you follow me? Would you walk with me, right? We, every day, moment by moment, God is calling to you and to me, would you follow me? Would you trust me? Would you leave behind what you've known before and follow me into the life that I've made you for? It may not always make sense, but God says, even when it doesn't make sense, follow anyway. Second lesson. The first lesson we learn uh, from Abraham's example, right? He, he, it was a pretty jaw-dropping act of faith. He, he, God says, uh, come and follow me. And he says, okay, I'm in. <laughs> Packs up everything and leaves this one. We're going to learn, the next few we're going to learn actually from uh, some of the negative examples. Do the opposite. This one uh, is there will be times when it's easier to lie. Tell the truth anyway. This comes from... Uh, Genesis 12. But uh, God called to Abraham to leave home, right? He, he did it. He followed God. An amazing act of faith. And then God makes this promise to him saying, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. In fact, all the nations on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 12, 1 through 9 records this. But in the very next paragraph in Abraham's life, the same chapter actually, you see Abraham lying, saying that Sarah, his beautiful wife, is actually his sister because he's afraid that uh, somebody might try to kill him and take her as, as their own wife. So he lies to them. And he, he forces his wife to lie and says, I want you to lie and say you're my sister instead of my wife so that all be spared, so that life will be easier for me. Can I just say, Abraham has an imperfect faith, right? It's, it's sort of like we were talking before. Is it just like this? Like, oh, he's always obeying and following God and everything else? No, it's a little bit more like this kind of thing. Look at this, Genesis chapter 12, verse 10 says this. Now there was a famine in the land and Abraham went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarah, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will uh, let you live. So say you're my sister. So I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So Pharaoh hears about her. She's brought into the palace, and Abraham is given sheep and cattle and camels and servants and all that because of it. How do you think this turns out, by the way? You think it turns out in a good way or a bad way? Yeah, that's probably a safe bet. How do you think Mrs. Abraham would feel about all this, by the way? Probably not that good. Pharaoh uh, finally finds out, and he says to Abraham, What have you done? What have you done to me? You've brought curses on me. Take your wife and go. It's the first of many blunders by my main man, Abraham. <laughs> this sin has serious trickle-down effect in his life as well. In fact, he starts seeing this dysfunction impacting his marriage and in his family, uh, in an affair that he has later, and eventually in the split-up of his two sons. Lying is one of those things that seems easier at the time, but it always has catastrophe right behind it. 
This kind of stuff uh, makes Abraham's story, I think, so relatable. Moments of great faith followed by moments when he stumbles all over the place, over temptation and into sin. Moments when Abraham blows it. At the moment, worry gets the better of Abraham. He's telling stories in his head. Well, this is how it's going to go. They're going to kill me so that they can have you as their wife. In reality, that's not what happens, by the way. That's not what happens at all. But worry gets the better of Abraham, and so he lies, and he takes the shortcut. Uh, But pain is right behind. Man, I think, uh, again, relatable. There are times when I think I'm tempted, and maybe you are too, tempted to color the truth a little bit, to, to try and take a shortcut, to try and answer ways or leave specific details out that make me look a little better than I am and maybe make somebody else look a little worse than they are. Times when it's easy, when I'm tempted to, to shortcut something because I think it's going to cause me pain. Times when fear will get the better of me. How about you? I think there, there are so many times in our lives when we're tempted to lie. And it can be overt or it can be covert, but it's the same, right? The lie is the same. We're, we're not telling the truth. We're not fully embracing the truth. Times when we're tempted to lie. But I think one of the lessons we learned from Abraham is, man, pain is always right behind. We might be tempted to lie, but tell the truth anyway. Anything else? It's, it's bad news. It's bad news for us. It's a lesson we've all got to learn. Even in those moments, God is still asking the same question, isn't he? He's saying, will you trust me? And will you follow me? I know you might think that it's going gonna, it's gonna to work out bad for you to tell the truth, but would you trust me? And would you follow me anyway? Third thing, third lesson. There will be times uh, when we're tired of waiting on God. <laughs> Wait anyway. This is a huge lesson from Abraham's life, from Abraham and Sarah's wife. There, there are times when we are sick and tired of waiting, and we think, no more, God. God, I am sick of waiting for you and your time and your plans and your way and your will. I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. And when we do that, we do it to our own detriment. We do it to our own detriment. Man, this is a huge lesson uh, from their life. Uh, Genesis 15 and 16 is kind of where we read about this. Uh, we've seen Abraham and Sarah who long to have children but cannot. And God has promised to them, as I mentioned before, that they will have kids. In fact, that a nation will come from them. Their descendants, God says, will be like the stars in the sky. In fact, God takes them out uh, outside and says, I want you to try and count the stars. That, if you can even get a glimpse of that, that's, that's how big your descendants are going to be. That's how vast the nation is going to be that's going to come, come from you. And so they, they receive that promise and they live in that promise. And then they wait and they wait and they wait month after month, year after year, decade after decade. They wait. And at some point... <laughs> Their pain tolerance has gotten so high, they're like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm done. I am done waiting. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And we can read this uh, in Genesis 16. Sarah is the one that takes the the first step. And Sarah gives her maidservant uh, and says, hey, I want you to go and sleep with my husband so that you can get pregnant. And then we can kind of vicariously have a child through you. Can't see that one blowing up in your face, can you? I mean, so this this is what you know, this is what happens. Genesis sixteen verse one, right? It says now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar, and so she said to Abram, uh, "The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her." And Abraham agrees to what to, to uh, what Sarah had said. I have to say, it's crazy. You read this, and you think. I can't imagine anybody would think this is a good idea, but we do the same thing all the time. We, maybe not with a, uh, an Egyptian slave, but we do the similar kinds of things. We take matters into our own hands. We can take drastic action when we're just so sick and tired of waiting. We'll jump into something without pausing, without turning to God even sometimes when friends or family members may be saying there's, there's warning lights going off and they're saying, warning, warning, warning. This is not going to end well. This is not going to go where you think it's going to. You should wait on the Lord. You should pause. You should step back. God's plans are better. We think, no, 
I got this. I know better, right? I need to have children or I need to do this more than anything else. I need to be successful. I need to be, right, whatever. I need to have a spouse. I need to have whatever, more than anything else. I can take matters into my own hands. I'm lonely. I'm sick and tired of waiting. I don't need God for this. That's what Match.com is for, right? I mean, whatever. You can, I can take matters into my own hands. I don't have to wait. Never works out the way we think it's going to. Abraham here, in all honesty, he's an idiot, right? There was, no, there was no moment of pause when Sarah brings his plan to him. There was no moment of, you know what, this is outside the bounds of what God has in store. This is not going to end well. He just simply says, okay, right? He, he kind of goes along with her on this plan, and it wreaks unbelievable destruction. Unbelievable pain comes from this moment. He needs to have a son more than anything else. And so he, he goes, he sleeps with Hagar. She becomes pregnant, and eventually they have a baby boy named Ishmael. You can start seeing in the story almost immediately the damage that happens. It starts between Abraham and Sarah, where there's, where there's an accusation, where Sarah says, this is your doing, right, to Abraham. It's your fault. There's marital conflict. Trust gets broken. There's a whole heap of junk. But there's also tension between Sarah and uh, Hagar, her servant. Clearly, there's anger, there's frustration, there's jealousy. Yeah, could have seen that one coming, right? Later in the story, we'll even see this this tension and this jealousy, this bitterness and hatred extend beyond the moms to the children, the boys, Ishmael and Isaac, who, who is the son of Sarah. God delivered just as he promised. And then there's jealousy. And their descendants, Ishmael, right, becomes the father of the Arab nation, and the descendants of Isaac become the nation of Israel. Been any tension there between those two groups? I mean, think of how many millions of lives have been destroyed because there was a, a promise given from God to Abraham and Sarah, but rather than waiting for God to deliver on his promise, which he always does, he always does. Rather than waiting on God to deliver his promise, they took matters into their own hands and they're like, I got this. I'm going to work this out on my own. I just wonder how often does that happen in our lives? Man, I have to tell you, I'm an impatient person. How about you? There's there's moments when I, I am sick and tired of waiting. And I just like to take matters into my own hands. And I think the lesson we learned from Abraham, the, the kind of the, the, the thing we learned from this story, if we will listen, is there will be times when you are sick and tired of waiting on God. Wait on him anyway. How different this story would have been if there was no Ishmael and there was a waiting, and then the celebration and the joy would have come as God answered his own promise, right? As he showed himself faithful, as he brought life out of barrenness. What an amazing story that would have been. To all the blessing without the pain and devastation and consequences that come from their rebellion, that come from them taking matters into their own hands. Fourth thing. There will be times when we're tempted to love God's blessing more than God. Love him supremely anyway. So after Abraham is 100 years old, after decades of waiting, God keeps his promise, of course, and provides Abraham and Sarah with a son named Isaac. And they love him, and they delight in him. Each day, they're reminded that he is the miracle child, right? A a child born to an old couple that is barren, and they treasure him. They maybe even spoil him a little bit. We've got some friends uh, and family members that we've walked through uh, as they've dealt with infertility and have to say, unbelievably horrible and painful journey, right? I mean, it, it really is. Uh, and the waiting of that is, is almost unbearable. And I have to say, those that we've watched that have ended up either that God's provided them with a child either uh, on their own or through adoption, it's amazing to see. I mean, first of all, 
they don't take it for granted at all, right? They usually their their lives and their eyes and their faces are beaming as they're holding a child, and I mean it's you know amazing kind of thing. There's so much love that is poured out. There's so much, right? All this good stuff. I mean, they love them and they delight in them and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes almost too much. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen this? Uh, we've got friends that almost, they almost kind of uh, skirt on spoiling their child. Sometimes they'll let discipline things uh, kind of go on just because they're so smitten. They're so in love. They're so thankful for this child that they, they don't want to have to correct them or discipline them or anything like that. It gets to a point where they almost can become an idol, right, where that's the danger. Like maybe I love them even more than I love God. And that's certainly what happens in the case um, of Abraham and Isaac, his son Isaac. He's tempted to, ha- to have his love and his devotion for his son become even greater than his love and devotion to God. And so God sort of puts him to this test and sifts Abraham's priorities. Listen to this. It's from Genesis 22. It says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then God said, take your son. Listen to how it says this. Take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And Abraham took the wood for his burnt offering. He placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Now, again, this is an amazing, jaw-dropping kind of story. Abraham goes through with it all the way. Well, almost all the way, right? He puts his son on the altar, which God is instructing him to do. He says, okay, God, I am offering my son back to you. My firstborn son, my son, my only son whom I love. I'm offering him back to you. And, uh, and he, he's like, I'm going to slay my son. So he takes the knife. He takes the fire. He's just about ready to do it. And of course, God sends an angel and rescues him, right? And says, no, stop. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't harm the boy. Don't harm your son. And God ends up providing a ram for a sacrifice for Abraham and Isaac. God blesses him as a result. He reiterates the promise that he had made to him. You're going to be the father of a great nation. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possessions of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all the nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me, Genesis 22 says. Now, I know this is kind of a weird story because we end up asking questions if you're like me. Like, really? Why would God do that? Why would he allow that? All that kind of stuff. But in this story, the, the main, the heart of it is that God sifts Abraham and asks him, who's going to be first in your life? Is it going to be what I have given to you? Right? What you have received? Or will it be the hand of God himself. Are you, are you, more, right? are you, are, are you more committed to, do you love uh, more what I've given you or me? Kind of thing. Which is it going to be? And as Abraham takes a step of faith and trusts God with the most valuable thing that he has, his son, his only son, whom he loves, God blesses him as he puts God first. Again, kind of a weird one. And uh, it might be one of those things that we say, you know, I don't love my kid like that. It's not, he's not an idol for me. Right? Maybe, that's, maybe I'm not going to be asked to put him on the, the altar, so to speak, and sacrifice him. But I'll tell you what, there's idols that pop up in our lives all the time. There's ways that, that we can love and be devoted to what God has given us more than we are God himself. And God consistently asks us, will you sacrifice those things? Will you lay them down before me? Will you trust me with that? the best of what you have. And as we open up our hearts and our lives before him and say, God, you are the one we love supremely. You are the one that's better than all this other stuff, all that you've given me. You are that one. He blesses 
and makes us a blessing to the nations, that all the people on earth will be blessed through us. There's a great verse in Genesis 15 when God is giving Abraham the promise, right? The promise to provide a family for him. He starts out by saying this in verse uh, 15, verse 1. says, don't be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and I am your very great reward. I just love that. And I think that's the picture here, right? I am your great reward. I am better than anything else I have ever entrusted into your care. I am better than the best that money has to offer. I am better than the best of love has to offer. I'm better than the best of me-centered living that that this world has to offer. I am better. I am your reward. Put me first and life will go well for you. There will be times, friends, that we are tempted to love God's blessings more than we love God. Love God supremely anyway. That takes us to the last one. Says this, there will be times when we are not faithful, but God is faithful anyway. It's the core message of Abraham's life. It's the core message of the gospel. Even when Abraham lied, God was still faithful. Even when he questioned God, God was still faithful. Even when his love for his son rivaled his love and his commitment and devotion to God, God was faithful still. He was still at work. In Genesis 15, after God makes this amazing promise to Abraham that we just read, he takes him outside and he says, I want you to look at the stars of the sky. Count them, if you will. That's what your descendants will be like. And then he says, look around over the land that's out there. This land is going to be your possession. Your descendants are going to live here, and they're going to be a great nation. And Abraham says, how can I know this for sure? How can I know this? How how can I know you're going to live up to your end of the bargain? And this is what what happens, Genesis 15. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all these to him, cut them into two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, they didn't cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down uh, on the carcasses, but Abraham drove them away. Stick with me. Verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the two pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant, a promise with Abraham. Now, is this a strange picture? Do you find yourself scratching your head and saying, what in the world is all this about? Yeah, stick with me. But here's Abraham would have gotten it because in in that day, uh, that's what it meant to take a pledge, to make a promise, to kind of do a business deal, so to speak. In our day, we're all about contracts. We sign contracts. A man and a woman stand in front of a pastor and they make promises to each other. And the question at the end is, how will I know you'll keep your promises? And then at the end of the ceremony, a lot of times they'll take a piece of paper that's like a contract, and they will sign it and say, this is how you know, I promise, I sign my name here, I make a covenant, I make a pledge, I make a promise that I will love you always and be committed to you always. Well, back in Abraham's day, this is how they did a business deal. They would take an animal, they would cut it in half, they'd pull it between, and the two, the two parties would meet in the middle as a graphic way of saying, I promise that I will keep my end of the deal. If I don't, may I be cut in two like this animal. Can I just say, I think our divorce rate might be a little bit less if that's the kind of promise we made. It'd be kind of a gross ceremony, but, but right, I mean, this is how seriously they took this. May, I, may, may my blood be shed. May I be cut in two if I don't keep my end of this promise. Jaw-dropping. Graphic, is it not? But this is, this is what's happening here. Abraham says, how do I know that you'll keep your end of the bargain? And God, so God instructs him to cut these animals in two. And after the sun sets, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appears. It's a, it's a picture or a representation of the very presence of God himself. You might remember in Exodus, right, there's a, uh, they, they follow God. There's a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night that leads the people of God. Uh, and this is the same kind of imagery. It's the same word, in fact, that gets used. It's a picture of the, the tangible presence of God, of God coming down. And he himself passes between the two, the two, half, the two halves of the animal. Abraham doesn't meet him in the middle, but this was God promising on his own life, I will keep my promise 
May I be cut to pieces, God is saying, if I don't keep my promise. May my blood be spilled if I don't keep my promise. I always keep my promises. And in fact, God is the only one that went through the two pieces. It's almost as if he's saying, I will own the consequences for my side of the promise and for your side of the promise. If I'm not faithful, may I be cut to pieces. If you're not faithful, may I be cut to pieces, he says. I will suffer for you too, God's saying. Even if you are not faithful, I will be faithful. Of course, this points us ahead to Jesus. This is the story of the gospel. God being willing to be cut to pieces. God being willing to be crucified, to die and to be buried for your sins and for mine, for your rebellion and for mine, for your shortcomings and for mine. We were and we are and we will be faithless sometimes. We don't always do the right thing. We don't always follow God perfectly. We screw up. We rebel. We go our own way. But God is faithful still. He has paid the price for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so that we can come back home. And he says to us moment by moment, even when we screw up, even when we are faithless, he says, I am faithful still. I will forgive you. Would you turn back to me? Would you receive my forgiveness? And then would you follow me? Would you trust me? Would you walk with me today and tomorrow and on and on? Even when we are not faithful, God is faithful still. Friends, I'm not sure what, where he might be at with God today. I'm not, I'm not sure uh, how he might be speaking to you. But man, there's something great about this story, something that reminds me of my life, and maybe it reminds you of yours too. I am not, it's not all just rainbows and unicorns, right? It's not all, every time we just do things right, it's a story of, of good moments where we trust and follow God and respond to God in ways that are pleasing to Him, but also moments when we screw up, when we blow it, and we need to be reminded that He is faithful still. Maybe you're here today, and maybe maybe you're more on the downhill side of that, and maybe today God is just prompting you, would you turn back home? Would you open up your heart and your life to Christ this morning? Just say, Jesus, I need you to come and forgive me. I've blown it. Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Would you bring me home and then teach me to follow you today and tomorrow and the day after that? Maybe there are ways that you are tempted right now to lie, to take a shortcut, to color the truth a little bit. Maybe there's some some way that God's asking you to step out and trust him. Maybe you're in a season of waiting and it's excruciating and you feel like, man, it'd be so much easier if I could just take matters into my own hands. And I think that the the lessons from Abraham's life today, his call to us, God's call to us in the midst of that is, would you stop? Would you wait? Would you trust me? Would you follow me? I don't know about you, but that's who I want to be. I want to learn. Yeah, I'll screw it up. I'll blow it. But I want to learn moment by moment to just respond to the call of God, to turn back, to follow him, to take the steps, to wait on him, to know him, to love him, that he could be glorified in my life, that he could be number one, and that the world would be impacted as, uh, as, as uh, he leads and guides me and us more and more. Let's close in prayer. Father, that's our cry this morning. Would you, would you grow us up? Would you teach us to follow and serve and walk with you? God, thank you for being a God that is faithful even when we screw up. A God that has been willing to be torn to pieces, to even to die, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could come home. God, would you, would you bring us home today? Would you restore us? Would you forgive us? And would you teach us to to follow you and to walk with you and to trust you with our lives. Be honored and glorified. Be lifted up, we pray. In Jesus' name.